Hi folks, I'm Wound Care Karen. I love being a nurse and I have a passion for wound care. I want to inspire nurses, educate patients, and have a little fun along the way. Listen, I met the coolest chick on Facebook. She's got a podcast called Living My Breast Less Life, where she discusses her struggles and triumphs with breast cancer. So today, through the magic of Zoom, I have the honor of interviewing this survivor who's also a wife, she's the mother of a toddler, and she's a medical social worker, Heather Pinnell Glover, also known as HPG. Welcome, HPG. Thank you so much for Zooming with me today. Hey, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. This so happy to so be a cool. part of your show. Thank you. And I really yeah. love Facebook groups and forums. I'm, you know, meeting people all over the world that we wouldn't, we would have no other way to meet. So this right. is really cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me on your show. I've really enjoyed it. Awesome. Awesome. So do you, do you mind if we just dive right in? We'll just start at the beginning. Can Let's you tell it. us a little bit about when you were diagnosed? Did you have symptoms or how did you know to get tested? Well, I had no symptoms. It wow. was 2021. Uh, my daughter had just turned one. I had just turned 41. And mm. I was just kind of checking the wellness boxes. Mm -hmm. Um my daughter and I are a day apart in birthday. So Aww. she came home from the hospital on my 40th. So mm -hmm. that was in the very beginning of COVID. So a lot of wellness exams just weren't happening at that time. So in summer of 2021, I had gotten a promotion. She had just turned one, just making mm -hmm. a lot of good, positive life changes. And I just kind of went down the list of like things that had sort of been neglected um, right. for preventative Cause, health. Right. Because in 2020, that that's pretty much lockdown. Everything was yep. locked down, shut down. All of that was uh, tossed to the wayside while we were all struggling with the world pandemic for sure. Yeah. And I think I think I just thought, OK, well, when you're 40, you get a mammogram and mm -hmm. I'm going to go you know, see my gynecologist, get a mammogram. And um, just, I literally made a list. I had no symptoms. I did not mm -hmm. feel a lot. Mm -hmm. I went to my very first mammogram and mm -hmm. it was a Friday afternoon. Uh, I was the last patient of the day and I almost canceled oh, wow. because I was busy at work and I needed to pick my daughter up and, you know, and I, something just said, you know, just go. And I did. And that was a Friday afternoon and they called me on a Monday. Mm. And I've been in the medical field long enough to know that if they call you back that quickly, yes, it could be an indication that they saw something. Mm -hmm. I honestly, as strange as this may sound, thought they were calling to collect a copay because I was the last patient of the day. And I thought it was like the billing department to say, right. like, hey, you need to pay us your copay <laughs> amount. And that was not the case. They mentioned you have a one point centimeter mass and you need to come in tomorrow for further diagnostic testing. Wow. That was at the end of the day on Monday. I remember mm -hmm. exactly where I was standing. I was at work. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that's what, I mean, it happened very fast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Friday, Monday. And wow. well, you know, when they say come back for further testing the next day. Yeah. Like, okay. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot to process. I told Martha, my wife, 
uh, she had actually picked our daughter up. And I was very careful to share that information once she got home. Not while um, she was driving. Or, not while yeah. she was driving, no. As a medical social worker, I've delivered a lot of bad news on the phone. <laughs> and I've always thought, is this person driving? Like, is right. this a safe time to share this? I've always been aware of that. And I told her as soon as, you know, we were in person and mm-hmm. she's a nurse. So, um oh. Yeah, so she went with me the next day, and I could watch her watch the screen. Oh. <laughs> now, to me, it all looked like a weather meter. I couldn't see anything. It all looked gray and splotchy. Like, right. Yeah. Cla- yeah. Like cloudy. Weather report. Right. <laughs> my non-clinical explanation. A, a of front coming through or what? Huh? <laughs> right. So after the further, it was an ultrasound, and we got more diagnostic mammogram. I got a call. The next day, mm-hmm. while I was at lunch mm-hmm. and um, at work, and they said it had blood flow. And I knew right then. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And they scheduled, they said, we'll be calling and schedule a biopsy that they scheduled the next week. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it happened very fast. Mm-hmm. Again, I didn't feel anything. And after I knew it was there, I started feeling around. Right. I couldn't feel anything. So, wow. So the next step was a, a biopsy then? Yes. I had okay. a needle-guided biopsy um, at the very end of July. And I remember my surgeon, who would become my surgical oncologist, um, he used to say, I need tissue. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, what a strange thing to set, tell a person. You know, from a, being on the other side of it, just being a patient. I was like, I hear you. You need to run the test. You need tissue. Right. Um, it was painful, but I think it was more emotionally painful. I bet. Yeah. And cause I knew, I just knew. Oh. And after I got the biopsy, they, they put a clip in and they did a mammogram after that. I remember that being really painful. So, okay. Yeah. Wow. And this whole time you're still trying, you're still going to work. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. taking care of your daughter. It, yeah. It's business as usual at the HPG household. Always. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I went to work. Uh, you know, we were getting ready to go to Maine the following week for our very first family vacation. Oh, and wow. um, you know, we had our book, our flight booked and all the details. We were yeah. ready to go. And um, so, yeah, we just were we were just trying to cope, you know, one one moment at a time, one day at yeah. a time. I really tried to avoid the Internet. Um Okay, so you didn't go down that. the Dr. Google rabbit hole. No, me and wow. Dr. Devo- Google had a <laughs> divorce. He got everything in that divorce. And, and he away. can have it, right? He can have it. So I thought, oh, I, you know, I don't want to be on these sites and, you know, right. hear all these horror stories or even success stories. I just thought I need to hear it from the provider. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what type and what. Yeah, right. There's so much unknown yet. Yeah, you didn't even know what to ask yet because you didn't know what stage, had it spread, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, kudos to you for not going doing all that, that deep it was, dive. Because it was that, tempting. I bet. <laughs> Part of the, like, positive life changes was, like, stopping going down mm-hmm. internet rabbit holes. Like, in, just in general. Yeah. In general, yeah. I had quit that in April, and it was one of the things I was like, "That's not healthy for me." So, awesome. I, I have I stuck true to that, and I got the results back the day before we left for Maine. Wow! 
And it was just a couple of days. And what I knew at that moment was that was hormone driven. Okay. Greater than 90% estrogen, progesterone positive. Mm -hmm. And um, that I needed an MRI for more imaging. I see. So that was going to, oh, and genetic testing. They wanted to do genetic testing because of my age. Okay. And um, that takes about two weeks to come back and the MRI was scheduled about two weeks out. So we just went to Maine the very next day. Good. Oh, that's yeah, good. I'm glad to hear it that. It was important. I didn't know what my future held, but I knew that I wanted to spend that time with Martha and Piper awesome. on an adventure. And I really tried to put it aside mm -hmm. and be present and enjoy the ocean and the food and really live in the moment. I ate a lot of ice cream to cope. Probably not the best. <laughs> but it's better than some things. Right. I was, I, I was going to say of all vices, that's, I think that's pretty benign. <laughs> yeah. I joined my first like breast cancer support group on Facebook on that trip. Oh, okay. And I tried to be really mindful of like, let's, let's not talk about cancer right now. There's nothing I can do. Right. I don't have all the information. Let's just mm -hmm. be present. Oh, that's awesome. Now. So, and we mentioned that you're a medical social worker. Did mm -hmm. that help? in this process, especially in the beginning here, or was it a hindrance? Because sometimes you can know too much, right? Yes. So <laughs> part of the background I'm most proud of that I've enjoyed the most of my career was a hospice. I was a hospice social worker for mm -hmm. years in my 20s. And so I'd seen a lot yeah. of folks at end of life, mm -hmm. uh, specifically breast cancer, all cancer, really all illness. Yep. And then I had left and went to the acute care setting in the hospital and worked the oncology floor. So I had seen both professionally. Wow. Yes. So I knew enough to be like, okay, there's hope, mm -hmm. but you know, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it was helpful in terms of advocacy and like understanding some of the words. And I gave myself a lot of grace because I used to tell my patient that patients typically only hear 15% max mm -hmm. of what the provider says. Right. So I just really tried to give myself some grace and, you know, taking notes and asking like, hey, can I record this? Because I don't think I'm going to remember. Oh, that's a great these idea. These details. Yeah. Um, and I think those, you know, being in the this business for so long, I think I had some like self-reliance there. Mm -hmm. um, but I did know enough to be dangerous, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... All right. So then that leads us up to, so you get back from Maine mm -hmm. um, and then you had, so that you did the MRI and you, you did the genetic testing also. Yes. And I found out I was negative for all 84 genes tested on my flight back. Oh, okay. I flew back on a Sunday. I had my MRI on a Monday. Mm -hmm. My daughter started a new academy that we had planned. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of stress. You know, coming mm -hmm. back from a trip, putting your precious baby in the hands of strangers. Yes. And this was still in COVID, right? I mean, I've, in my thoughts, we still are. I have COVID now. So, um, you know, we just like handed her to masked strangers. We couldn't go in the classroom. So there was a lot of anxiety right. there wow. and adjustment there. And then, yeah, so I had the MRI and it showed more um, cancer in the breast than they had thought. Mm -hmm. And the left one had to go and the right one had a lot of questionable areas. And I had a choice of um, coming back, like having the left one removed and then coming back every six months for close monitoring. Oh, wow. And 
I, if anything, at times can be very decisive. And I was like, that's a level of anxiety that I just cannot live with. So I decided that I was going to have a double mastectomy very quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful to have, to have the insight and the knowing of like, no, this is the decision that's right for me. Mm-hmm. And just feeling very confident in that right away. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, just having that knowing and... Then there's a lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah, you know? right. Just what was, more wait. Yeah, what was that time frame like then? So so you met with a surgeon, I imagine, and, and mm-hmm. talked about the plan. What kind of wait was there after, you know, after that? Yeah, so I met with the surgical oncologist that did the biopsy. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to see a plastic surgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about being in this business for so long, I think that it kind of felt like, I need you to see this to make an informed decision. I'm going to check this box so we can do this consult so we can either do reconstruction or not, Um, you know, give you all the information. So when I met with the plastic surgeon, it was, you know, maybe right before September, beginning of September, Mm -hmm. we talked about a couple options. I was a candidate for either just a double mastectomy with like flat closure Mm -hmm. or immediate reconstruction with silicone implant. And the reason I was a candidate for that was because I had good skin integrity, something that I've never thought about before. Right. The candidate for healing and um, had a smaller chest. So that was in terms of breast size. So that was just easier to take the breast out, put the implant in. Okay. Sew it up. It was um, some people take, and I can't remember the term, but some people take tissue from other parts of their body, but that wasn't an option for me because there was no surgery availability until the next year for that surgery. And time was of the essence. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. This, you know, some folks who get diagnosed with breast cancer who are like BRCA positive, who may not need, they have, some folks have a little more time. Mm -hmm. I did I did not. Right. You had a a loaded gun pointing at Mm -hmm. you for sure. I did. Yeah. I certainly did. And you went into this already having a type of congenital deformity, right? We talked about that briefly on the phone Mm -hmm. before called pectus excavatum. Um, I've also heard it called like sunken chest or hollow chest. Mm -hmm. And how did that affect your, uh, the plan? Oh my goodness. Well, the first barrier was I was asking, you know, if you're going to operate on a person's chest, Mm-hmm. And it's sunken in. It's pretty significant. Um, like, how does that affect surgical outcomes? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's shaped different, that would, in my thoughts, guide the force of surgery in a different way. Right. Because it's a it's and, a bony deformity. It's not like mm-hmm. it can be um, manipulated else, you know, differently. It's a bony deformity. Right. Mm-hmm. And I brought it up to my surgeon and they were like, oh, no, it's no big deal. And I was like, well, you know, I need a little more education. Have you ever done a mastectomy on a person that has a sunken in chest before? Like, oh, we can do Yeah, we could do this. I'm like, I hear you, but have you done it? Mm-hmm. You know, and I even asked my plastic surgeon. He was like, oh, yeah, my ribs stick out too. And I was like, well, that's nice. But my whole chest is sunken in. It's not just the rib piece that, that sticks out. It's the sunken in part. So like when I was born, it was like somebody took a little cereal bowl and made a mold and took mm-hmm. it out. So it's a pretty significant deformity, but breasts cover it. Right, right. And Martha, being a nurse 
and mm-hmm. having those good clinical thinking skills was like, okay, what about a risk for like infection of the lung? Um, what like from a cardiac standpoint, because the sternum is more pronounced on like the breast, the sternum is, it beats more on, my heart beats more on the sternum. So she was concerned about all of the whole picture. Exactly. And I called. And I asked to speak to the nurse and they're like, oh no, we've seen her without her shirt on. It's fine. And I could hear them talking back and forth about mm-hmm. me and I was on the phone, oh, but interesting. I, had, I felt very dismissed and almost like this is a very popular word these days, but I felt gaslit about it. Mm-hmm. And I almost questioned like, <laughs> is it as severe as I thought it was? I'm pretty sure it is. I mean, it was a big point of like cosmetic mm-hmm. for me. Like it was a big focus, like getting a bathing suit and like trying to camouflage it. Right. And especially and, because you had dealt with it all your life. You mm-hmm. you you could see it as a child, you know. So this mm-hmm. is something you knew all your life, a deformity yes. you had. Yes. That hits, you know, from a practical standpoint of like having bras, trying to find bras that fit. Or like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it was an everyday part of my life mm-hmm. to the point that like Martha wanted to get a baby picture of me from my mother and be like, look here, can you see this? And I am a little feisty and asked my surgeon, it's like, listen, if you'd worked on Fords and Chevrolets your whole life, would you just go in on a, like a foreign car a Toyota, <laughs> without thinking about it? And they just looked at me like, you know, like what kind of question is that? I thought it was a pretty valid question. It's the only analogy I could think of. Right, right. But that was hard because I wanted to be heard. Mm. It is my body Mm. that I'm giving you consent to operate on because I want to stay alive. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that you understand or more importantly, that I feel comfortable and confident when I undergo my very first major surgery. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've, I've heard patients say, like, we all are the, you know, we are the expert in our own experience. And that is 100% accurate. Mm-hmm. And I think that folks, if someone would just say, yeah, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I, I hear that you're really concerned. I'll consult with a colleague. Mm-hmm. Or I am confident that X, Y, and Z will be as okay as I can guarantee. Um, right. Just or, some reassurance or right. just active listening or some type of communication other than oh no it's fine oh yeah just the poo poo no no never mind honey you you'll be all right yeah so as it turns out the surgery was longer than they had anticipated the reconstruction was more was more extensive mm-hmm. on the right than the left and I lost a lot of blood and I had to be on oxygen and the next day when they came to see me they were like you gave us a run for our money and I'm thinking you know that's <laughs> Okay, so let's, and what I heard was, I tried to tell you that you're going to be the hero. Right. Because we got to manage their ego, right? Right. (laughs) Uh, When it's our body, we try try to tell you, but I didn't say I told you so, because that sounds like a snarky thing to say, but. You're a stronger woman than I. (laughs) I think it was the meds, but. um, (laughs) That's one of my biggest pet peeves, though, And, and as a nurse, I always advocate for the patient because I have been in situations where the patient themselves is trying to tell the physician or provider something very much like you did about your chest wall cavity. And the, and I can tell the provider either isn't hearing it or doesn't want to hear it. 
again, they're just poo-pooing. No, 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 you'll be all right. Ah, we'll do it. That's what we'll do. You know, and, and uh-huh. I always take it upon myself, you know, to stop the conversation, you know, but doc, they have questions about A, B, and C, you know, mm-hmm. just to try and bring forth that dialogue, you know, mm-hmm. to, to re-examine because clearly you had a concern about something mm-hmm. very valid. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it just wasn't heard. Yeah. So. And I think from a professional standpoint on my end, I've translated physician speak to yes. patients yes. my whole career. And I would hear something and I would just watch the patient and think, I don't know that she understood. Mm-hmm. And then I used to wrap it up and say, like, do you have any questions? There's something you need clarity yes. on? Or I noticed that you took a note here. You know, mm-hmm. do you have anything, any concerns? And then I would talk with the patient after and try to explain it in layman's terms. Right. And help them process what they heard and, you know, explore emotions around that. So, mm-hmm. To not have that mm. advocacy because you can only, it takes a lot of energy to advocate for yourself if you're an advocate for others. Because I don't know how, it's like I had to learn how in a right. way. Right. So tell us about recovery. So you ended up having several hours talked on, uh, tacked onto your surgery, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, that leads to extra blood loss, extra complications. So tell us a little bit about your recovery then. Did you leave with drains? Did you have any other type of devices? What was that like? Yeah. So in the hospital or after the surgery, I woke up with four drains and they were, and you'll know this, you're the expert, but it was, they were like sutured to my side, like by my ribs, Right. Um, two on each side mm-hmm. and they were hanging down and had like a pump <laughs> on the end. That's what it looked like to me. Mm-hmm. And they did a lot of teaching about like you drain the, you know, you drain the blood out and you know, they gave me a little measuring cups and they taught me how to do it. Mm-hmm. I was very scared to do it. I didn't want to touch it. Aww. I didn't want to pull it out. You know, I didn't, I didn't realize yeah. that it wrapped all the way around like my breast. I didn't know where it was Yeah, um, in forms of drains or I was brand new to, to that. So I came home with four drains and I was in the most uncomfortable bra thing oh. I have ever been in <laughs> my life. I felt like I had like barbed wire around my ribs. Oh. It was so tight. And I, I understood that was for compression mm-hmm. to keep swelling down. Exactly. Yes. But because of the chest wall deformity, they had to like put this big bandage on the left to keep the implant separate, separate. so they wouldn't become oh. one. A mono boob. You don't want a mono right? boob. Wow. And I was like, what in the world is this giant thing? <laughs> I didn't realize it was like a placeholder, like a space, literal space holder. I thought it was part of the dressing. Mm -hmm, Right. Again, I had been in surgery forever. That's a myth. (laughs) So I had this big gauze taped around my left breast and tons of incisions from the bottom of the implant, like where your nipple would be. Okay. But I I wasn't able to uncover those for quite a while. Mm -hmm, Right. Um, And I was terrified of them. Mm Mm-hmm. I could feel a lot of pain, but I couldn't describe it because mm-hmm. a lot of the nerves were damaged. So I was in a lot of pain, but it was a different pain than I'd ever experienced before. Mm-hmm. I bet. So you okay. I had the drains and like you had to measure the output, I think, every three hours and keep a log. Right. Which I'm pretty detail oriented. So I had my log and my wife really helped here because I was, I don't remember the first couple of days being home. Mm-hmm. But um, my plastic surgeon said that I could not take a shower for two weeks. She did not want any of this getting getting wet. 
Okay. And she didn't want me to shower with the drains. And another dignity thing from a social work perspective is they mark on you with purple marker. Yes. So not only am I just in this corset type compression bra that felt like barbed wire, I have purple marker written all over me <laughs> that I really wanted to get off. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just a really interesting which things I've never thought about before. Mm -hmm. You never had to, right. And what kind of, besides the not showering for two weeks, what other kind of restrictions? Were you restricted regarding lifting or reaching or twisting? Yeah, before the surgery, I had to prepare. So if you, if you do like T-Rex arms, you can basically reach out just as far as like a little T-Rex dinosaur. Okay. So if your hands are in front of your breast, that's about it. Mm. You know, in terms of range of motion, nothing high, nothing low. Right. Gotcha. Um, nothing too much to the left or to the right. Mm -hmm. uh, not any bending over. My heart rate had to stay under 100. Okay. I could not lift anything over like a half gallon of milk mm -hmm. for, I believe it was six to eight weeks. I bet, yeah. So I had put everything that I thought I might need within those little T-Rex arm <laughs> lengths. Okay. And since we're on a nursing podcast, I thought, how do you wipe your bottom in <laughs> that instance? Uh-huh. <laughs> we figured all that out. But um, so that it was very, like, very limiting physically. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm And then I had a mastectomy pillow, you know, when you're driving a car or riding a car because you've got your seatbelt on. You definitely don't want that seatbelt rubbing against oh that's that. a great if, idea okay if you were able if you were to get in a bump up or what have you you want that barrier yeah and after you have a mastectomy and i unfortunately had it spread to my lymph nodes you get real popular with all these new doctors and all these appointments and all these follow-ups and you're in the car a lot and mm -hmm. you know, some of my rehab uh, for <laughs> For my physical therapy was like, I'm going to make it halfway through Target after this doctor's visit. That would be my goal. Uh-huh. Um, and I would just kind of lean on the buggy. That was my, like, adventure uh, yes. treat if I had the energy after my doctor's appointment. So That's awesome. Yeah, I, I use Target therapy as my <laughs> recovery <laughs> yeah. many a time also. <laughs> Um, so I imagine your, your wife was a big help then during recovery, mm -hmm. especially being a nurse. I mean, that's just, that's really, really awesome. She was happy. Yeah, she, she was able to help with, to look, because I was anxious about the incisions because I couldn't see them. Right. They were under part. Mm -hmm. so I could see them in a mirror, but I couldn't see, see them to look for signs of like infection or right. if it's healing properly. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what it looks to heal properly. So mm -hmm. she was able to keep a watchful eye for that, like taking temps to make sure like you weren't spiking a fever for infection and really monitoring all that. And then the, the diet piece that was important was to make sure that I had adequate protein for healing. Yes, yes very important. And I am goal oriented and when she said I had, when my plastic surgeon said I had good skin, I was like, okay, I'm going to keep it that way and I'm going to heal properly. So mm -hmm. I tried to do like the protein shakes and mm -hmm. um, I did not have much of an appetite, probably because of the medication right. and the pain. And I would just try to get as much protein as I, as I could. But after you have a big surgery like that, you know, like your bowels are waking up and you're, mm -hmm. um, I was on narcotics for just a very short period of time, just a couple of days, but like constipation. So like mm -hmm. you're kind of chasing like how do I do input output, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And you still get the nutrition, but 
be able to do these bodily functions and stay within these physical limitation parameters and stay sane. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> no small feet. I'm that sure. part too. No. Mm-mm. And did you have any problems with your incisions or drains? Did any of them happen? Did any of the incisions happen to open a little bit or were you able to get your drains out in a fairly decent amount of time that you consider? Um, one did really well and I got mm-hmm. it out in a week. Oh, awesome. Superstar. And I was so excited and I got the second or the second phase of them out the next week. So it took two weeks to get the drains. Luckily the incisions healed up nicely. I still have little scars. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But they healed up pretty well. Awesome. Yeah. That's luckily, great. I didn't have a lot of like, my plastic surgeon was just like, leave it alone. Uh-huh. Yes. Don't let, don't touch it. Don't let anybody touch it but me. Yeah. I say set it and forget it. <laughs> if yes. for, for folks that are Gen X like us, they remember Ron Popeil and the <laughs> rotisserie chicken, set it and forget it. Yeah. That's because <laughs> that's what wounds and incisions like. They, they want to be warm. They want to be left alone because <laughs> mm-hmm. every time you take a dressing off to look at it, it, it chills that, you know, it becomes, you know, the room temperature air hits it and it, it chills and it's like a shock to the incision or the wound. So yeah, I, I try and tell all my patients, like, leave your bandages alone, change them as infrequently as, as you have to. Yeah, that's yes. great. And did you need chemotherapy? I did. Okay. Yes. So and was that, I- was that after surgery then or during yes. or? Okay. It was, it was after surgery. Um, I found out that the cancer had spread to the lymph nodes mm-hmm. and I was going to require five months of chemotherapy and radiation. I was very depressed, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a hard thing to hear. I had an aggressive cancer and they wanted to treat it very aggressively, yes. which I was thankful for. It's a perspective shift, you know, right. like, okay, this is going to be hard, but this is going to save my life. And once you have lymph node involvement or any type of cancer spread, you go through the body scans mm-hmm. and of note, they are not easy physically to do after you've had a mastectomy with immediate reconstruction, going through those tiny tubes Oh wow! You know, and just getting on and off the table, you know, just things you don't think about. And the um, scans came back that had a large pelvic mass. And to make a long story short, what I had, I went for chemo teaching. I felt like this was backwards, but I went for chemo teaching (laughs) that morning and met my medical oncologist and then saw my surgical oncologist who did the ultrasound. And I was laying on the table looking at the ceiling and he said, we're doing a total hysterectomy. Wow. Yep. I was looking at the ceiling and my feet were in stirrups mm. and you know, there's so much that goes through your mind. Like, is it, is it like metastasized? Mm-hmm. Is it a secondary cancer? Like, right. what is this? And I asked like, is it attached to like a left ovary or right ovary? Like give me a geographical reach. <laughs> And he couldn't answer. He said, I don't know. It's very big. I can't tell. And I was like, okay. And we had talked about the possibility of a hysterectomy in the future because my cancer was hormone driven. Right. So we went to the scheduling office and it was scheduled for the total hysterectomy was scheduled for November 18th, which was oddly enough the day I was supposed to start chemo. Oh, wow. So that was a very quick adjustment and change of plan, change of, mm-hmm. you know, we were coming on the holidays. Like, oh, yeah. I just had a major surgery, you know, October 1st and, you know, 
a month and a half later, going in for a second, a lot of unknowns, a lot of waiting. Mm -hmm. And it felt really spontaneous in the surgery scheduling world. It was fast, like two weeks scheduled. And he was saying like, we may have to cut your abdomen to get this out. Mm -hmm. We may can take this out vaginally, Mm -hmm. but we don't want to spill it Mm -hmm. because if it's cancer, and I appreciated his transparency. Uh, but I was scared. Right. And he did it. He did the surgery, part of the surgery with a robot. And I had never heard of that before. Uh-huh. And I was just like, a robot? Like, this is so bizarre. So perspective shift was like, okay, let's hope that it's laparoscopic and vaginally and that he doesn't drop it. Talk about trust. And what I think is so important to build a rapport, if you can, with your medical team. Mm-hmm. Because to trust your body, like, don't drop it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, let's get this out of here. See what it is. Had the surgery, was laparoscopic, luckily. Um, it was not cancer, but they did drop it. Oh. Um, it, was a, it was a huge endometrial cyst. Oh. And when you drop those, it causes a lot of pain. Mm. And I'd suffered from endometriosis my whole life. Oh, I see. So, um, so that was a plot twist that I did not see coming at all. And like what I learned of being an oncology, a cancer patient was like, Hey, not cancer. And uh, we were starting chemo December 14th. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, I just had a total hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. Like I can't have kids. Like I'm in menopause at 41. Right. You know, oh, whoa. <laughs> but nobody wanted to talk about that. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons I started my podcast was to talk about the things that mm-hmm. people don't want to talk about Mm -hmm. and bring education and light to topics that are real that people suffer like yes I was a cancer patient however that was a big loss yes losing having it losing the any possibility of ever having another child Mm -hmm. and losing that part of me was harder than my breast wow yeah only emotionally and from a scarring perspective I can see those scars more on my stomach than I can from the mastectomy just by the way you know our bodies are Mm -hmm. made and breast cancer patients gain a lot of weight Mm -hmm. I did not know that um so I'd gained some weight and I had this blowed up belly and it just didn't do a whole lot for your self-confidence you know or (laughs) mobility um but that those incisions held up well again I was focused on my protein and trying to stay ahead of knowing I'm about to start chemo Mm -hmm. I wanted to try to be as healthy as I could be right because because chemotherapy itself would impair your healing So yeah, you were in a race against time to try and quickly heal up your incisions because you were going to start chemo very quickly, I imagine. Wow. Yeah. And I had pre-surgeries, like Mm -hmm. post-hysterectomy, pre-hysterectomy, I started going back to work and then we shift to the hysterectomy. I was out of work for two weeks, back to Mm -hmm. work, started chemo December 14th and graduated April 27th. Oh, wow. So it was a long journey. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no idea what people really go through. I had no clue. Well, but you went through so much. Like it, right. it was more than just the breast cancer. It was more than just the spread to the lymph nodes. It was then this whole hysterectomy and delaying your chemo because of it. And yeah, I mean, it's wow. You had the full meal deal for I sure. Did. Yeah. I certainly did. And I, I, I have a very tenacious person, thankfully. 
um, and I had a will to live. I have a little girl mm-hmm. you know, and I'm young in the cancer world. I'm very young. So, yes. And, and um, I'm sure that's why they were so aggressive too, um, mm-hmm. as far as the time frame and all that. And yeah. to their minor defense, I can say that, you know, I'm sure that's why, especially during the hysterectomy and everything, why they were just in a hurry to save your life. That's perhaps why they weren't hearing so much about your, um, the rest of you, you know, mm-hmm. but wait, I'm, you know, so I'm going to menopause and I can't have children. Um, very often we, uh, providers, we lose ourselves in the diagnosis. We lose mm-hmm. ourselves in the disease or the process and, and just thinking, my gosh, we need to save this person's life. And we stop thinking about the person as a whole at that uh-huh. time. And we forget all about your emotional health, your spiritual health, your sexual health, mm-hmm. you know, all of that was sometimes that gets lost by the wayside. So I, I yeah. think that's um, part of your inspiration then too for for moving forward. So I absolutely yeah. love the name of your podcast, Living My Breast Less Life. I love mm-hmm. that. Thank you. So you decided you came through this horrible struggle. Mm-hmm. And at what point had, were you listening to other podcasts or what made you decide, oh, I think I'll do a podcast about this? Yeah. So um, December of 2021, I started thinking about just my life. I did a lot of life reflection. When you get a cancer yeah. diagnosis, if you don't reflect on your life, you're not telling the truth. Right. <laughs> you're not saying it out loud. You're just keeping it to yourself. I did a lot of reflection and I've had a really interesting life. Yeah. I love podcasts. They kind of ground me. Um, when you're on chemo, you're, you do have chemo brain and your brain is different. You can't concentrate mm. reading books. Like I, I love to read. Mm-hmm. So I had to select, start leaning on audiobooks and podcasts and I would look for stories similar to mine yes. and I couldn't find it. And I wanted to connect with someone who understood what I was going through. Mm-hmm. that and I couldn't quite I found it and I found it in many ways but I couldn't find a story like in the podcast world where I was like oh I can relate I mean I could relate to some of it mm-hmm. pieces here pieces there really depressing and I acknowledge how triggering cancer can be for others to hear about because it affects people and our it affects most people in one way or the other mm-hmm. literally and I just thought you know I love to talk about things that people don't like to talk about mm-hmm. and I think that sometimes people think think that you beat cancer, you check a couple boxes and you're fine. You're not, you're not normal and you'll never be the same again. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about the things that people don't talk about. And I think the reason that people don't talk about it is because they think about themselves or they put their self in your story and think like, oh, that's heavy. I don't, I don't, I want to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Or people don't know what to say. Right. They really don't know what to say. So if I could give one tip, if you don't know what to say, don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Just listen. I learned that when I, I started at hospice when I was like 25, 26. And that was the key piece of my success with patients was if I did not know what to say, don't say anything because your folks are real fragile at that point and yeah. very vulnerable. And um, so that's part of the reason. And I was looking for a good hobby that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, that was uniquely mine being a mom, a wife, a social worker. Like I tend to put myself last and I was like, I'm mm-hmm. gonna do something for me. I'm gonna do something fun, something creative yeah. that I enjoy. So that's how living my breastless life came about. And I named it that cause you know, living, living your best life <laughs> or living your breast life. And right. like, well, well, those are gone. So living your breastless life. So <laughs> I, I had thought about it for a, for like almost a year. And I was like, you know, start before you're ready. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. 
if people like it to listen don't worry about what people think Mm -hmm. and i think kate's really taught me to really not the weight of other people's opinions are really not that valuable do what makes you happy and i'm not going to say like you only live once because i think you die once Mm -hmm. i think you get to live every day so i just something i wanted to do and i was like why not why not what if i fail what if i succeed if i don't do it i'll never know right so that's what started. And I was raised like in a culture where you don't talk about anything, mm-hmm. you know, you just keep everything. Everything looks very pretty, very tight lipped about everything. Mm-hmm. And I want to help people, you know, bring authenticity and realness to a variety of topics, not just breast cancer, mm-hmm. but the struggles that people go through in life. I've heard a ton of them and I've been through a ton of them. So I'm here for it. So. Right. And yeah. you're also on other social media. You have Facebook and Instagram. How can yes. people find you? They can find the podcast is on all major platforms. Um, called Living My Breastless Life. And on Instagram, folks can find the links to it as according to HPG. This is my Instagram handle. And um, I am on Facebook. It's my name, Heather Pinnell Glover, and it is hyphenated. But it's long and I just go by HPG, which is what most people who know me call me. So there you go. Well, your story is just, it's amazing. It's so inspirational. And thank I thank you, you so much for, for having the courage to share some intimate details with us. I really, <laughs> really appreciate it. Cause I, I know, I believe just like you do that there, there are people out there that need to hear this. Mm-hmm. They need to hear, you know, what you went through cause they're going through the exact same thing or something very similar. So yeah. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. At the latest episode came out today on the 17th, January 17th. There's a lot of res- uh, resources linked in the show notes. Good. So yes. people to be able to go back and say, okay, I heard her say this. Um, maybe this resource could help or help a loved one. Um, just really, I'm just trying to help folks in a little different way than I have in my career. So right, because this episode, uh, you talk about um, getting your pick line inserted, mm-hmm. or, or your, I'm yeah. sorry, your your metaport inserted. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah, but my port that was an interesting experience. Um, but it was helpful in the long run. But yeah, there's it's a it's a hard battle. Um, I do not think I never realized how hard it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been in medical the medical field. I was twenty. Mm-hmm. I just did not realize. Um, but I think it speaks to like what you were saying earlier. Like when you're a provider, you're trying to save their life or put out a fire. Mm-hmm. As a social worker, you don't see the whole journey. You just see parts of it. Right. So, right. but. Thank you for having me and I really, really really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. So but before we go, um, yeah. as you know, like I'm a big movie fan. I love Hollywood and movies and all that. So I asked this of all my guests. So if there was a movie made about you, who would you want to play you? I have thought about this and I'm going to have a weird answer. That's all right. I'm going to say Angelina Jolie, but not because of her, his, her like having the prophylactic surgeries because of her BRCA positive. Mm-hmm. Um, results because her mama had breast cancer. Right. It has nothing to do with that. But I think specifically like the Angelina Jolie character when she played her role in Girl Interrupted. Okay. I think, I think that, that particular Angelina Jolie would, um, I mean, she's a sociopath in the, in the movie. <laughs> and I do not think that I am that, but I just think her character would probably represent some of the, could play me pretty well. Awesome. Yeah, some of the more interesting details of my life, so... 
Yeah, and yeah. I could see that. And honestly, just her as an actress, she uh, she really can do a full range of emotion, um, dig deep when she needs to, and then she also brings it to humor and comedy. So, and I and I love her humanitarian efforts too off the screen. Yeah. So that's that's a a great pick. I agree with you on that. That's awesome. Yeah. So thank you so much. I really really appreciate it. If you don't mind ending with, I, I love your ending line, your tagline. Go get your mammograms. Go get, get your mammograms. mammograms. Yep. Go get your mammograms, y'all. Awesome. Thank you so much. Folks, this podcast was recorded in January of 2023. It was developed and produced by HPG and Wound Care Karen, and it was edited by Wound Care Karen, and I did it all while watching the NFL playoffs. The views expressed here belong to me and my guest and not our employers or affiliates. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and give me a five-star review. And don't forget, check out HPG's podcast, Living My Breastless Life. If you have ideas for future topics, please drop me a line at contact at woundcarekaren.com or message me on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. I'm Wound Care Karen, and please remember, folks, time does not heal all wounds. So if that happens to you, seek help from a wound care professional. And ladies, get your mammograms.